Welcome to I Like People, episode 10. Tonight is Friday, April 12th, 2019, and I still like people, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Don't get me wrong, people can be scary sometimes, like life itself. But that is to be expected when dealing with matters of life, and most of the time people are not as scary as they are unsettling or even challenging, which seems like quite an exciting form that life takes. So to those programs and organisms listening, let's take some time together to appreciate each other. I'm your host, Maxime, and we'll review some Lou Harrison music and ask Austin the seven questions to save humanity this episode. Are you ready for the seven questions to save humanity? Yes. Great. What are your preferred pronouns? Where does your name come from? And what's your deal? And I realize that's three questions, but just try to bear with me. Um, It's meant to be one question about your origin, you know, kind of. So, yeah, preferred pronouns, name, and what's your deal? Uh, Well, I'll start with my name. Austin Abicht. My preferred pronouns would probably be you and I. And my deal is life and living well and good. Great. Thank you. That's a very well thought out answer. You sound, your voice sounds kind of like a previous guest I've had. And you look vaguely like a previous guest I've had. But I know you're probably not like very closely directly related to him you don't have like a brother that lives in a commune in the north northern california area do you Uh, i'm an only child so no okay thank you all right the second question is what does being human mean to you oh oh that's a big question man i know sorry (laughs) well as humans What distinguishes us as humans from other life is, you know, that we can think, we can form judgments, uh, we can make decisions of our own free will. I guess that's what would mean what it is to be human to me, that, you know, we can decide in freedom how to live our lives. Wow, that's very interesting. So does that mean like animals don't have as much sentience or what is it that maybe, I mean, you know, we're animals too, one would argue. So what do you think especially gives us that extra humanness? Uh, The capacity for higher thought, uh, to form concepts, uh, to really be able, you know, Animals, for instance, we, they definitely have sensations. They, we can experience their feelings even. We humans have that as well. They have actions. They even have a will. But we couldn't really put and say that they're acting out of some decision that's based upon this is what I think about the world, or this is what I think about this situation, thus I should do this, or this is the way it is because of this. It's very much of a, I'm hungry, I eat. Hmm. Um, 
you know, it's cold. I'm going to go sit in that human's lap. Uh, you know, those sorts of things. It is, and humans have that as well. We all can be more or less free as, you know, we put forward the effort to make ourselves that way and to make our actions free. But, you know, if I'm drinking or, you know, doing drugs or just giving in to more base desires, I wouldn't necessarily call that type of human activity free, even if those actions in a human being would manifest themselves differently than in another animal. They're still, you know, they are not a manifestation of the higher aspects of being human, I would think. Thank you. That's that's. Yeah, I, I've had similar feelings. Um, sometimes I've wondered, you know, in my maybe childish imagination, if a cat, you know, very intelligently, very shrewdly plans, you know, to do cat-like things. But but really, yeah, no, being human does have a, a, like a, a, a higher thought um, element to it. So it sounds almost like being human is... Being able to tell ourselves stories that we choose to make action towards? I guess that would be one part of it. That, in my mind, would form the very beginnings of what human culture is or was. If we think back to the earliest days, you know, there are stories we call the myths and... You know, they very much formed the whole culture, whereas today our stories take on a different form. Uh, but we could still tell stories, and they more or less determine our view of the world and our actions based upon that. But telling ourselves stories and then acting upon how those stories act on us wouldn't quite still be the manifestation of freedom that I was alluding to earlier. I see. I want to hear more about this um, this freedom. Okay. Well, we're free, or we feel ourselves to be free. Not when there's been some outer cultural story. You know, that's in my mind, and I now make the decision because someone else has acted like this. They acted like this in the story, or this story indicates that this type of action is what I should make. We're more free, say, when we deliberate through our reason and make choices based upon that. But even then, we could say that our reasoning capacities and our conceptual worldview is still molded by our external circumstances in some way shape or form our family our culture you know where we were born all of that kind of stuff uh you know even the nature around us would very much do that so we would need to be able to search for something in ourselves that is independent of all of that something that is uniquely us the me essence if we want to think of it like that so it would be our thoughts, our concepts that are formed prior to any contamination or influence by, uh, from the outside. Uh, and the closest thing that that really comes to for me would be the spark of a thought, uh, wow. an, an intuition, if you will. So it's not just being able to choose from a variety of stories or choose to act differently to kind of enact a, a different uh, series of events um, that, you know, that doesn't relate to an existing story. It's also this almost like, uh, it, it, it sounds close to some people's definition for a source energy or something. Like it's, it's almost like where we inhabit wherever we are and, and it, like this, the unmanifest, are you talking about the unmanifest or is that what we're carrying around with us? I'm speaking, at least in my idea, of what it, the actual essence of a human, uh, where the, the intuition arises, the activity that is this thinking process that we have. 
You know, usually we have thoughts and we can observe them after the fact, you know. Philosophers will bemoan that they're cold and dead and just mm. a pale abstraction of the real life, ah, you know. Interesting. Uh, but when you really delve into the essence of human, then, you know, what, it, what am I? I'm not the thoughts that I have per se. I'm not the sensations and the all the external experiences. But you know, I'm what connects all of these things together. And you know, my conceptualization are these relationships between all of these different perceptions that I have. So the activity that really weaves all of this together would be the essence of a human and the source of the spark of these concepts. And that would be what the essence of being human is. And being able to tap into this and to really live, not just in our thoughts, but how they manifest in our will. Because we will our thoughts as well. We will where we look, when we move our eyes, how we move our hands, what we do, how we work, sure. interact with people. Um, but as long as it's a motive, you know, an idea is what is the ter- determining factor for what it is I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if these ideas come from this source, from this essence of a human being, then the actions could be truly free. Wow. Okay. Um, Do you do drugs? I have. (laughs) I, I try and succeed in not making that a part of my life really anymore. It, uh, I've experienced that it, they drugs get in the way more often than not. Uh. Though they can be a lot of fun, and I will say that you can have very real experiences on them. Determining what those experiences are is another matter. (laughs) That sounds like a whole other conversation, but it might lead into the third question I have, which is, have you ever had a metaphysical or paranormal experience? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to cheat an extra question and say... What is it? What was it? Uh, well, I've had more than one. Well, just tell us about the ones that you want to. Oh, man. That's a tricky matter. I I don't know if I'm really... <laughs> I don't know if I'm qualified to talk about them. <laughs> That's very funny. That... Yeah. I can describe some of the experiences. Uh... But to really say what they are, beyond my ken, really, uh, um, I might have an inkling as to what some of it is. Yeah. Can you describe something that maybe was, a, let's say, can we narrow it down to a metaphysical or paranormal encounter? Yes, we, we can. <laughs> That's still a little bit on the, on the cusp. Undescribable but, side. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll go for the non-drug side. Okay, that sounds that sounds like more um, accessible to the average understanding, maybe. Yeah, uh, though there are plenty of people out there with experience with drugs. So, this experience took place in the border between being awake and asleep. Uh, I was even told prior to going to sleep that I would have or an encounter with this type of entity. By by whom? By a, a human being. <laughs> uh, we're going to leave that mysterious. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I should say his name. Um, we've talked about him today, though. Okay. <laughs> so I was told that I would encounter this entity in my dreams or that he would visit me or you know as much as an entity that can't be perceived with the senses can be in a room 
<laughs> Hold on, wait, wait. I'm confused. Um, so, naturally, I was very interested to see if such a thing would happen. And I, I didn't doubt it, but at the same time, I didn't necessarily wholeheartedly be like, yes, this is going to happen. But I would have to say that I wasn't skeptical. Okay. And I should also clarify, up to this point, I had spent enough time in my own dreaming experience to be able to determine the, yeah, the distinctions between different types of dreaming. Sure, yeah, I get it. So, I had already gone to sleep, and at this point I don't really remember if I was having a normal dream or not before this. I think I actually might have been. Um, But this was more of a coming awake type of experience, though I didn't immediately come awake after this experience, as I normally would in a similar type of experience. Um, If anyone is familiar with hypnagogia or hypnopompia... uh, Could could you give us a a very quick glossary refresher, maybe. Okay, hypnagogia is a overall term that generally refers to the in-between state as right as you're falling asleep or right as you're waking up. These flashes of images that you can get. Um, that's the very brief stage of hypnagogia. So I've had um, synesthetic experiences where. I hear a noise, mm-hmm. and my brain instantly generates a, an incredibly intricate glowing pattern at that exact moment that the noise goes off. And I know in the instant that I see this pattern that it is a perfect visual representation of that noise. Okay. I've had that in liminal states. I wonder if that's like hypnogagia or something else. Uh, well... There is a book um, by a guy named Andreas Mavromatis, and he details a lot of that, or he attempts to, to show the relationships between different hypnagogic states, meditative states, and other altered consciousnesses. And yes, there are a similarity between all of these things, though their individual qualities that distinguish them from one another are important. So these hypnagogic states can be different levels of manifestation. You can have just brief flashes of images to full-blown color-moving images that are even more vivid in a certain sense than, you know, what your eyes can see when you're awake. Though they're still not a dream. You're still more or less awake. At a certain point related to these hypnagogic experiences, um, it's usually... Actually, it for me, it either is going to sleep or waking up but you can it's when body paralysis starts to set in and there is this mm, sense or uh, an of something being in the room with you or outside and you are unable to move and it's gonna get you i've heard of this actually i had a partner once who had sleep paralysis and she told me don't touch me when this is happening. Just let me get rid of it on my own because if you try to wake me up or try to get me out of this, it will get worse. And it's very weird stuff that, and I don't want care to describe some of it, but it sounds like sleep paralysis somewhat. Yes. There has discussion amongst you know people that if you're able to push through that state from being awake, that you can drop straight into a lucid dream, a totally lucid dream. And I can say that the only completely lucid dream that I've had did occur that way. I wasn't as afraid Mm -hmm. as in some of these other experiences Mm -hmm. uh, when that happened, but it does seem to be true. From coming from a dream or already being asleep and having this experience, this was the first time where I had the body paralysis, but I had no fear. Because uh, I was lying on a couch asleep. But I started to become aware of my surroundings in the room that I was in. Though it wasn't from my eyes, it was more of an out of body experience, but I was still tied to the couch, we'll say. I wasn't 
floating around or viewing my body or anything like that. And it was a very still for quite a long time, and I was just there. And I began to see and focus on some lights. There was about one or two or three in different relationships to where I was at. At first, the light was just the digital display on the oven, but then there was one outside, and so as this stillness mm, sat with me for a while and the experience intensified, I became aware of a visage, almost like a, I wouldn't call it a shadow, per se, because it had three-dimensional aspects to it. But if, you know, you were to view a human being, for instance, and be aware of, you know, it's almost like the predator or something, when he has... You You saw a shadow person? I wouldn't have think of it as a... I never thought of it as a shadow person. I'm... I have no reason to disagree with that at this point. I'm not entirely sure of my own knowledge that it must be this kind of entity, but it's classed with all of your types of elementals, for instance, or like uh, in certain cultures, they just call them little people. Um, I see. You kind of... It's more like the realm of the Fae. Yes. Uh, That was what I was told I was getting into, and it was short, and I had the impression of a little leprechaun-type thing, but I couldn't actually visually, even though my eyes are not open, the sensory, the internal sensory perception or experience I was having did not give me those qualities other than just merely the height. Uh, But the intuited aspects of this being were more of like a leprechaun kind of thing and how high did it appear uh basically about the height i would have been if i was just sitting on the couch so you maybe like four and a half feet roughly i have no way to really give a measurement Mm. um but this is the type of entity i was told it would be and it began to tell me things that don't make sense to a waking consciousness though i would have to say that the whole experience is hyper real it was in no way a dream and like other dreams are dreams how, how do you feel about it now it's an experience that i deliberately don't talk about very much Thank you for sharing. Um, it is something that, you know, when I, when it comes to, I'll use the term spiritual experiences, um, because essentially we're talking about if this is another entity, it is a spiritual entity. It is any manifestation of them in any tradition and in any culture. It's part of their mythology. Uh, it's you know, not a god, but it is some other type of entity that is usually dealt with with a tinge of fear and a great deal of respect. So that is more or less where it resides in me, and I think about it from time to time, but I'm attempting to let it grow and create more meaning out of itself for me instead of trying to impose some you know external understanding upon it thank you for sharing that that's quite interesting is there anything else you wanted to share about it before we move on to the next question um mm -hmm. no i don't i don't think so if something comes to me i'll bring it up (laughs) excellent so I've heard of other experiences where people see shadow forms but they're not exactly shadows but they are kind of like if a human shaped thing were comprised of shadow I've only ever heard it described 
and sometimes there even seems to be an anatomy to them such as such as you can see eyes that are glowing or someone can reach out and touch and have an electrical or cold or or even feel like they're sensing um like ethereal or otherworldly organs of some kind and that the entity is just like yep here i am like you can't hurt me but you can feel that i have like these strange you know otherworldly organs and uh, many people feeling haunted by them and yet i haven't heard many stories of many shadow people being harmful and i'm not inviting that into my life by the way um uh, but I'm just saying that uh, it could be that many of these entities are just not understood properly or could be the realm of the fae or little people or could be just how we perceive otherworldly things that don't quite fit into our um, our ordinary everyday spectrum, as it were. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to ask you if you had anything to say about that. Um, I have heard you know, about the shadow people before i haven't i couldn't say for certain one way or another just because of my lack of knowledge of them it does when you said something akin to basically they appear the way they do because of a lack of a proper context to really mm. put them in um or shadow people as it is today is actually a context that exists. Oh, yes. Um, you know, so uh, you know, very much like uh, greys or, you know, oh, yes. certain types of extraterrestrial experiences, the context given can very much shape an experience. Yeah, that makes sense. I had a particular type of experience. Given a different context, or if I had more context perhaps the experience would have been different. Maybe it wouldn't have been shadowy-like. I have the person who said, you know, said entity was going to visit me in my dreams noted afterwards that it would have seemed shadowy because of my lack of context. Wow, that wow. makes sense. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think it's right to dismiss the, the, the impressions that you had. Even though we we have we force our context on it you know having a leprechaun like or or uh, elven like or 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 fey like experience i think I, I, wow we just don't know we just don't know mm-hmm. these things these experiences can manifest themselves to us in a myriad number of ways and there are a near infinitude of different types of experiences that can be had of a you know non-normal sensory perceptible kind so it would be you know it would behoove us to you know really just try to perceive the experience for what it is before trying to judge it thanks that's a great way um, to conclude so this i'm not sure if this is related they're meant to sort of flow into one another but I'll just ask it. The fourth question is, what is the best way to care for the earth? How can we, you know, is there some behavioral change that we should be doing? And what is it in specifically, you know, to, to honor the earth that we're living on, you know? The most powerful single thing that a person could probably do far-reaching to all aspects of life would be to be able to find within yourself the capacity for reverence of what truly deserves it instead of criticizing this or criticizing that, because it gets in the way of really true thoughts and true and good actions. Um, you know, to be able to come from an attitude, a mood of soul, if you will, of respect, of 
devotion to something that you have found in where we started our conversation. You know, if I've decided from the essence of myself, you know, not from an external dogma or Mm -hmm. something else, you know, to really be able to cultivate a devotion for this type of activity, um, that the nature of reality itself will help to sort out the misunderstandings that might arise in a nutshell to try to generally just be good people (laughs) cool i like that how how can i um how can i phrase that question in a simple way Hmm. how can we be truly ethical human beings whoa that's good thank you Hold on a second. I'm going to change that one second. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Let's see here. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Uh, s- I don't know. Fifth question. What does community mean to you? Community means... You know, really being able to take an interest, a genuine interest in the other human beings that are a part of your life. And they're essentially everyone that Mm. is involved in your life. Uh, And the more that we can do this, the less that our own preconceptions or misconceptions about this group or that group or this individual or that individual will arise. And that will make it much simpler to actually have a healthy community. Because uh, it's these misunderstandings and that really seem to get in the way hmm. of us being able to interact in a truly healthy way. I'm going to try to bridge a misunderstanding right now i I think when you said having true concern for the other human beings i I also hear you almost saying they don't even have to be human like it could also just be concern for this fey being and concern for these or, or would you say that's different from what you're describing community as is it too large to say community is you know all life well what i would be what i was presenting as the way of really kind of manifesting a healthy community is even the very basis for a healthy science. Um, It's even the interaction between you and an inanimate object. Uh, (laughs) If you have your own ideas getting in the way of what this thing is and you're not allowing it to present itself to you, then a whole host of misunderstandings can arise. (laughs) Uh, oh, yeah. So, yes, I would say that this applies to nature, external, outside of us, to human beings and our interactions, and also to, you know, entities and beings that are, are not since perceptible. Cool. Thanks. That's a great, that's a great feeling of community. Thank you. Uh, penultimate question. What projects or collaborations are you presently most excited about? Oh, I'm most excited about the Foundation for Cultural Renewal. (laughs) This sounds great. What is that? Uh, It's uh, a nonprofit organization that uh, me and a couple of friends have just recently been able to start up. And where we're really you know, starting with is just trying to find funding for uh, unfunded researchers uh, that, you know, are really, you know, mainly starting with science, but, you know, to be able to bridge out into anything, you know, art, uh, even religion, um, anything that can truly give a healthy cultural impulse moving forward, uh, not just for America, but for uh, the world over. There really is a a lack of healthy cultural leaders in today's day and age. 
being able to help those fellows and ladies uh, really get the support that they need to become what they can be is very important. That sounds really nice and like a healthy change for... I'm I'm hesitant to use the the word global society because it doesn't as as homogenous as it is it doesn't feel quite like a, a single society. Um, but it sounds great for societies. I'll say. <laughs> I I would hope so. <laughs> uh, that's that's the general the general impetus uh, to really just try to make a better world for ourselves and you know, in the future. Is it too much to ask for an example of what you think would be an ideal partner or an ideal um, project that that this Foundation for Cultural Renewal would fund? Well, at this point, we're still looking for some funding ourselves. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the... Can it be a self-funding enterprise? Yeah. Well, some of it is. Um, and we're currently... Uh, about to have a a conference that we're holding for um, bringing together a number of uh, researchers from around the world in various fields from neurology to medicine to physics uh, even some economists uh, to really try to you know set a and determine and share our knowledge to be able to be able to better pick uh, a direction for moving forward and you know it's important to have some of the businessmen and the economists there so they can pay for the <laughs> find out how to pay for the party uh. <laughs> they do want that i mean I, it's true that many of them are looking for ways of uh, of putting together meaningful economic ideas yeah it's uh, a very overlooked um aspect of a fun healthy society is you know being able to approach the needs and uh not just the needs but you know all of our <clears throat> what some people think of more you know our baser activities the ones that aren't necessarily involved with higher scientific discovery or you know grand artistic vision but are you know, more grounded in the doing and making and trading of things. Uh, these things can have just as high scientific ideals involved with them, actually, and just as grand of art and artistic vision. And Sounds like you could have a, a really productive, um, productive shoot. I keep reducing myself to... <laughs> Economic terms. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a kind of enlightened commerce. <laughs> yes. That that is what I'm alluding to. Great. Last question. Sounds like you've already answered it, but still would like uh, your answer to this direct question. How can we all realize more human happiness together? Oh, by not only hmm, by discovering ourselves and through that discovering others. Great simplicity there. Thank you. Um, well, that concludes the seven questions to save humanity. There is still one more question. You don't have to answer it. It was asked by the previous uh, guest. All right. And they had no idea who the next guest would be. <laughs> you get to ask also um, a question of the next guest that um, you don't know who they'll be. Putting me on the spot. Okay. Right. Th this is it. <laughs> it seems this one is not so... Uh, it wasn't as specific as some of the others. This one is, why do you do what you do? Because I think it's right. Nice. Done. Great. What's your next question to uh, guest 11? Hmm. How would you approach making the change that you want to see in the world? You, you, you get to put someone on the spot next yeah. episode. <laughs> So now this is the part of the show where we talk about music. Are you interested at all in that? Yes, I'm. I'm very interested in music. It's been a 
not in a practicing sense, but it's been a, a relatively large part of my life. So can you tell us a little bit about the song that we heard at the start um, of the show? Do we need to listen to it? I think we do. Okay, okay, let's switch to that now.
Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, the song is uh, Double Concerto for Violin and Cello by Lou Harrison. Uh, it In the beginning, it has uh, what I believe to be uh, what are called American gamelins. It sounded kind of like bells of some kind. Yes, the it's a it's derived and sounds pretty much exactly like uh, a Javanese instrument, um, Java, uh, and it is kind of like a uh, xylophone type instrument. It's a it's a percussive uh, deal. Did it, was it kind of like pentatonic or something? E, it. Very much the, you know, Eastern scales by and large are, you know, very uh, centered around a pentatonic sort of deal. It is in a slightly different intonation, uh, from my understanding, than a 12-tone equal temperament. Uh, Javanese and most Far East systems are based upon a seven-note master scale. Septatonic, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, Indian systems have 22 notes. Ours is 12 for the chromatic. Um, so it's a type of diatonic, but their uh, intervals are not quite the same as what, uh, say, a uh, old Greek diatonic would have been. They're different. Diatonic sounds like two-tone. Uh, well, it's just the... That's what... The, that's the name... Uh, given to our seven note, the seven note scale is a diatonic scale. Oh, and thank 12 you. Is a chromatic scale. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, At first, I just have to talk about that part. It sounded, I loved that for me anyway, to my ear, and I, I admit, very westernized ear. Um, I I was I was surprised and delighted by the unexpected changes. I I kept hearing. What I kept hearing a progression between every two different notes, and I thought, "Oh, that's interesting." How that kept happening. Yeah, the the rhythmic complexity in uh, Lou Harrison's music can be, uh, you know, very very deep. There's some of his stuff that is even solely solely percussive, um, but the yeah, it, it is the the change in rhythm as it's moving forward gives it. It's very. It gives power to certain portions that really get you, <laughs> uh, and you know it can have a sense of you know force, but as well you know it being calm and melancholic. But at the same time, it can even be heard as being jubilant in a certain way. Um, so it is. You know, it is a. Uh, I I always think of the term hauntingly beautiful for that piece. Yeah, it does. I actually I saw uh, jack o' lanterns. <laughs> okay, uh, but I mean, but I was also fighting that that imagery too because I know that some of it is just my brain's interpretation of what was going on. I loved how when the strings first come in, and it organizes it in a new way. It, it sounds so, gosh, I don't know how to describe it, but it it um, it sounds like a, a conversation that is then turned into a, a reassuring strings, um, but then the strings themselves become very forceful. So mm -hmm. yeah, there was a lot, there, so much emotion. Yeah, the the gamelan and the strings will move back and forth between these various points and what is in the four and what is kind of supporting. Uh, and it is, you know, the more you even penetrate into the piece, you know, the more you really can hear these intricacies in the interplay because the, the gamelans aren't doing the same thing in the background hmm. the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens, it's almost like, what happens next? next you know, yeah. <laughs> in in, uh, in the second movement, what can we expect? Oh, it totally turns the tables on you. Um, 
Yeah, where where this was in a sense very calming, the yeah. next one is not at all. <laughs> uh, it, depending upon the type of music you're even used to listening to, it could even be jarring. Um, like took, like residence jarring. Residence jarring. What 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 illusion is that? <laughs> oh, well, okay. The residents are a group that are like they're known for having music that's a little bit. I guess I would call them uneasy listening. Okay, yeah. The the second movement is not easy listening. Uh, though it is... It, it took me a while, actually, to really get into the second movement. It is very combative, in a sense. Uh, there is conflict. And it is expressed very well. Uh, and the third one, we come back around again. It isn't quite like the first, and it isn't like the second. But it is more of a an easy listening something that came to my mind was while listening to this because i haven't heard much classical in a while uh, about how some initial critiques of mozart back in the day were that you know it was grotesque music it was just flaunting and it was too too much of something and I didn't even, th- I, you know, I was laughing about that critique now because I'm thinking, that's so silly. You know, it's classical music. How do you, can you say something like that? But really when you're in it and you're in these emotions, you can see how some music can be flagrant mm-hmm. or some classical music can be in your face, even while it's absolutely without lyrics or anything like that. Oh, yeah. So I, I was listening to a Tchaikovsky piece the other day. It was uh, um, not a quintet, a, a sextet. And I was, it got to the point where I was basically headbanging, you know? (laughs) It was like, oh, that's intense. Uh, So yeah, classical music is not just a sit back and relax kind of thing necessarily. Not in my experience. I mean, who who is firing cannons during music nowadays too? (laughs) Yeah, not many people. (laughs) Yep. So... Yeah, there, there's, uh, Lou Harrison is n- not, well, I, I can't say this because he really has a, a real range to a lot of his pieces. So, you know, some of his stuff isn't, you know, really West, isn't really very Eastern sounding at all in many portions and takes more after, uh, uh, Arnold Schoenberg, you know, it's almost atonal in a certain sense. Uh, he did train under him for a short time as early in his career i'm i'm glad he kind of took a different direction later but uh yeah it um he'll keep you on your toes but there's always a simplicity because there is a simplicity to his melodic style that is very engaging uh while you know there can be some you know, more eyebrow-raising stuff with uh, mm. certain portions, but it'll always bring you back to something that soothes the soul. I'm familiar with a lot of classical where, uh, you know, it will be like extremely quiet strings for like several minutes, and you have to turn up the radio mm-hmm. and be like, what's going on? What, You know, why aren't they keeping it so low? And then oh, suddenly God, it just booms, yes. and you're like, what? <laughs> So that's kind of the classical that I'm familiar with. And, you know, probably um, aficionados would be like, oh, well, that's obviously such and such and so and so who did that um, to you, you know, the most popular ones. But I just don't know it. And so I'm I'm really grateful that you could uh, share this with us. Um, is there anything more that you want to say about um, how the how this music um, affects you does or taps into anything? Does it does it have to do with I mean you mentioned conflict a lot does it have to do with processing emotions or or is it less it's it's not it's not totally therapeutic right I wouldn't say totally therapeutic when I came across uh, this composer the first piece I heard was the first movement of uh, the 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 double concerto and as I said earlier it took me a little while to get into the second one. Uh, the second movement, but which we'll hear next. And I, it, the first piece as well as the last one, or the the first movement as well as the last movement, really, in a certain sense, were very much an expression of 
my mood of soul when I first came into it. Mm. Um, there is an overarching melancholia to the piece and to a lot of his music that really captured me. Uh, so in that sense, it wasn't very therapeutic. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't y- listen to it a great deal anymore, but whenever I do and come back to it, I am always struck by just how beautiful it is. And I'll just let the music speak for itself. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. I just want to add that I can relate to music being something that puts you in a certain mood that you no longer have, but which you almost have a nostalgia for that mood or for your life's progression past that mood now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes some bands like XTC or Can have that mood for me. They may have had a song that sounded a bit cynical and sarcastic, which I think, oh, that's kind of a raw adolescent even attitude at times. But at the same time, um, so real and true and so um, something that I've gone through and that I can say, wow, now I've I've been through that and it's kind of like uh, having conquered something within myself. Yeah, it, it music can definitely take you back to an earlier point in your life and uh you know, have you look back on it in a in a positive way. It's it's difficult to become totally antipathetical to a music that, you know, really had you when you were young. Uh, <laughs> I think that's why I still like UB forty. <laughs> yeah, I've got a I got a couple of bands like that myself and you know, you, you. I don't want to live there, but you know, hearing them every once in a while and you know, living it again in remembrance is. I don't know if it's necessarily the healthiest thing, but I believe that's something that is very human. And uh, there, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. I think that wraps it up pretty well too. Let's hear the second movement, and thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of this episode. Thank you for having me on. 